Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. This week I have the pleasure of being joined by Joey Gazelle. He is a Canadian restaurateur uh, and entrepreneur as well. Uh, he's founder of Fighter Brands. Uh, they're most well known for the main, but there's a lot more as well uh, in Dubai. And you'll be familiar with a few of the different uh, mains that have popped up across the city. And we'll talk about the different concepts behind them as well. He's developed and owned multiple uh, restaurants and concepts in Beirut and Dubai. Joey was also recognized as Cater Magazine as Middle East Restaurant of the Year. He does many other things as well, such as being brand ambassador for Suit Supply, uh, Remy Martin, and most recently a collaboration with Mercedes-Benz Middle East. Today on the show, we're going to talk about the story of the main, uh, the hospitality sector this year and what it's gone through, and also what's in store for cuisine and culinary sector in Dubai and across the Middle East. Welcome, Joey. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, as I said, it's a real, you know, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, you're quite a, uh, your success story in Dubai and your brands are much loved and your food is uh, much eaten across the city. So, uh, yeah, so thank you for coming on. Thank you. Can you tell us a bit of background? When did you arrive in Dubai and how did the main start? I actually grew up in Dubai. Uh, my family's been here since 1975. Uh, I went to primary school here, I went to DES, I went to Dubai College, oh, okay. uh, and uh, I went to university in Montreal. Although I'm a born Montrealer, I consider Dubai home. I've been back and forth, my dad's still here until about 2005. Yeah. Um, I moved back uh, really permanently in 2013, and um, I had a few restaurants back in Beirut uh, that I had opened that had done very, very well, but Dubai seemed like a very big, intimidating market to me. So I spent a couple of years when I got back to sort of sussing it out and seeing where the gaps were. And when the location in JBR was presented to me, I got really excited about it. I thought it was a great opportunity to introduce something really new, like kind of a hidden speakeasy type brasserie. Um, and loved the fact that it was on uh, on the waterfront. Uh, and, I, and I really was very much inspired by the vacations that I took as a kid in Maine and Vermont. We used to summer in Canada and drive down to the East Coast. And if anybody's ever been there, they know it's very beautiful and has the best food. Very famous for oysters and lobsters and shrimp and so on. Um, uh, and I, I, and I just I didn't make that connection. Yeah, I, well, I wanted to introduce a little bit of that sort of East Coast flavor yeah. uh, to, the, to the brasserie theme. Um, and I honestly thought that Dubai was missing at that time kind of a premium casual brasserie offering. Any city you go to in the world, there's always sort of one uh, brand that has multiple locations that, that sort of offers that kind of middle that middle category. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and I want it to be that brand. Great. Was it missing it or there just wasn't one that you felt kind of uh, captured everything or was successful? Because there was, you know, at the time there were, there was thousands of restaurants. Yeah, there, there, it's a very competitive landscape for sure. Uh, but I felt that the gap was that there weren't that many people kind of in the casual, licensed casual category, uh, number one. At that time, there were only like two, three concepts, like uh, I think Mythos and JLT, okay. um, uh, The Main, NOLA. There really weren't that many. Okay. And, and, and I knew that 
this kind of idea of doing a browser, a bra what is a browser? A browser is a place where you go at any time, uh, you know, no matter what age, uh, any occasion. It's a place where you can go on a quiet date night. It's a place where you can go uh, to celebrate a big business deal. It's a place to celebrate a birthday. Mm. Um, it, it's it's kind of, you know, you can go with the family. It's somewhere where it's a sort of very top of mind, go-to place where it doesn't matter what you want to have. We have fish, we have meat. Um, uh, you know, our big USP, you know, our big selling proposition at the time was the oysters. I mean, that was the thing yeah. that kind of got everybody. We we're the largest purveyor of oysters, uh, probably in the GCC. We had 12 varieties of oysters. Amazing. Uh, I remember, the world. Had, yeah, there's a real taste and selection that, that, uh, at that time. Yeah. Well. And, and I think that that's kind of was a hook. And a lot of people were, you know, a lot of people said, well, I don't like oysters. But the truth is we have we have something for everyone. Okay. Yeah. And how did you get into food? Is that what you studied in Montreal? I actually, no, I studied film. I studied film and international relations. Uh, okay. I, I kind of accidentally fell into the restaurant business. Um, I started off as a waiter when I was 17, sort of just making some pocket change. Yeah. I was making a lot of pocket change. I was working at a steakhouse and, and netting about $2,000 a week in tips. So that was... That in was, Canada? Yeah, that was That's pretty amazing. good in Canada. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, I, I, I fell in love with the business and it had a lot of that kind of creative uh, output that I that I was looking for that, that, that I found in film and, and anything creative and I worked with a very prolific Canadian restaurateur for about 10 years I kind of became his right hand and he really taught me everything I needed to know about the business we were opening something like four restaurants a year at a certain point amazing and we used to do all the design in-house all the layouts all the branding um, it was really an amazing school yeah and so when I broke out on my own I had I just turned 31 and I decided okay I've learned everything I was gonna learn and I broke out onto my own and and opened up five restaurants in, in Beirut wow. and uh, and I really got into sort of uh, identifying gaps and building brands and you mm. know, finding spaces and, and raising funding and so on mm. and so so yeah I, I I I love it I mean it's something that I so it was never it was never my life's ambition, but I I think I'm getting better at it. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> so I I love the part where you learned you learned from someone good. You learned by uh, being a waiter yourself. Yeah. Um. And then uh, did you were you attracted to the business side or the food side? And you know, speaking about that connection between film, is that from a creativity or a storytelling point of view? It's very much from a storytelling point of view. I mean, I, I approach all of my projects kind of almost as if they're movie sets okay <laughs> and uh you know i design that. all the restaurants myself okay. and i just love the idea that you're you walk into basically a, a studio set or a hangar or a, you know and then, yeah. and then you, everything else is kind of just uh set design okay. and you know the, the waiters or the actors and the music sets the tone and i kind of approach it from that perspective and i really think a lot about sort of the the tone that i want to set the mood that i want to create yeah uh, as if it's a movie when we met recently in Business Bay, the third domain that you'd set up, you said to me that you didn't you wanted to do you didn't think you could do what you had in JBR in Business Bay. Yeah, hundred percent. I didn't understand. Well, that's a little bit of a. I mean, that's just again, I'm I'm constantly striving to surprise and delight and reinvent. And I think, you know, JBR's design package was perfectly suited for that location. You know, it was built as a kind of a reconverted fishmonger's warehouse, okay. uh, you know, by the sea. And it's very nautical in its in its uh, design intent. Um, the one in Studio City is really something that is a bit more kind of a neighborhood eatery. Yeah. Um, feels warmer and, and a bit more familial. 
Um, the one in Business Bay, you know, it's it, uh, we're op- we opened it in the iconic Zaha Hadid building, which is the last building that she did before she passed away. So already there was a lot of, I suppose, um, you know, it's intimidating to open up in such an iconic well, yeah. building. And, and I knew that I wanted to do something different, but keeping the same DNA of the brand. Um, so I had to really think about what those sort of signature elements were uh, mm. that sort of define the main um, the booths, the chandeliers, you know, the tiles, uh, the windows, but really adapting it to the downtown audience and kind of making a little bit feel a little bit more premium. Okay. Um, and focus it a bit more on steak rather than than fish, for example. Mm. Is that um, a land and sea player? Were you just trying to cater to a different? It's it's a land and sea play. It's also a a JBR versus downtown play. Yeah. Um, it's really and it's also just kind of. Showing that you know the main has legs, and we can kind of localize the concept to mm. where it's opening, um, and I think that's that's what's really interesting. That's what's actually helping me sort of chart the the, the development journey of the brand internationally. Okay, yeah. interesting. Speaking of that, you know, when you learned the restaurant business in Canada, do you think there's is it like an open playbook? Are there any rules? Do you look at something and you go, "This is a franchise. This is higher end. This is lower end." Are, uh, how do you approach concepts and business in that point of view? Well, I mean, I think everything is uh, it has to have its own identity. That's very important. I mean, I think the story has to be very, very compelling. You know, mm. people, people. I think the main resonated with people because it gave what people really want. It feels like affordable value, aspirational lifestyle. Um, you know, it, it's it's luxurious in a way, but it's also convivial and familiar and, and, and sort of unpretentious. Mm. So it, it sort of, I think it hits all the right notes. And it was very important for me to do that at the start. I think now going forward, you know, we are taking the brand internationally. Um, I don't know if I necessarily, you know, uh, you know, I think, I think hybrid models kind of work where okay. it's joint ventures, part joint venture, part franchise, part, um, uh, you know, part fund that, that will that will launch the brands. Why do you think that? Just from a point of view of, uh, you know, when we hear of restaurant franchises, right. we, we can think of big ones like, I don't know, I'll just say McDonald's. And uh, in the franchise agreement, they might say the size of the straw and all this stuff. Right. Is that is that stopping creativity or is it no, more of a I, business? Th- there has to be. Look, in, this is just sort of like left brain, right brain part of it. So, you know, my creative side obviously builds the stories, builds the brands, localizes the, d- the designs, um, you know, focuses a lot on marketing. But the business side, there has to be a strong back of house structure. There has to be strong systems. You know, mm-hmm. systems run restaurants and people run systems. People don't run restaurants. Um, you you have to make sure that it's consistent, and the way that you do that is by by controlling that those ingredients, those key ingredients that make the main the main. But in terms of why the difference between franchising, I think you're asking, and yeah. let's say joint venturing or hybrid models, as yeah. I was talking about, the main reason is because people don't want to be left on their own. You know, whoever's investing in the main or whoever's partnering on the main really want. Uh, your involvement. Mm. They want to, you know, you have to spend a lot of time with them. You have to have skin in the game. You have to be kind of invested with them. Yeah. You need to, you can't just let them sort of get on with it okay. uh, and expect that they're going to do the same job that you do. So you do need to spend, you need to be more uh, invested in in them. Okay. Sure. It makes sense. Yeah. So going back to systems and what makes restaurants, as you mentioned, 
uh, my mum had some restaurants over the years and I, I saw it firsthand, you know, the food was only one part. Yeah. As in, you know, you have to, there's a lot of managerial, you have to manage suppliers, you have to manage people, 100%. menus, concepts. Yeah. And, and you have to be scalable. Okay. Uh, that's the, that's the key. I mean, it's, it's, you know, when you have one restaurant, you kind of, you know, it's an 80-20 rule where as long as it's 80% right, you know, you can handle the other 20 okay. at any given time. When you go to three restaurants, it needs to be 100% right all the time <laughs> because you can't split yourself up. So yeah. we focused a lot on our back-of-house systems. We have a really robust online training program. We have a dedicated training manager that spends uh, her whole week just going around the different locations to make sure everyone's being trained. Is that from a service and cooking and everything? Everything, everything perspective. So also we have, you know, I don't like to micromanage, but I do like to be micro-reported to. Mm. So I do like to know that everybody's doing the tasks that they have to do. Looking at it, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't want, I'm not the type of helicopter owner that kind of goes around. And I do, I do go a lot to the restaurants and I can tell right away in my bones when something's not going right. Mm. But again, when you have the right systems in place and you have the right people sort of overseeing those systems uh, and you have everybody sort of onboarded, uh, then you're able to scale faster. Um, so yeah, in terms of controlling the mood and the lighting and so on, that's, you know, that's, that's a big part of it. I mean, I, we focus a lot of our attention on what the client sees mm. uh, and feels. And it's really those moments that makes a difference, I think, in the yeah. brand. Yeah. Uh, systems, you know, how granular do you go? I, just when you were saying the mood and the lighting, I saw on your website there's a link to a Spotify playlist. Yeah. Are you are you managing all that? or is That's actually my playlist. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I think the music is very important. Okay. And I think that's actually something that really um, stands out to people. And uh, But mostly mostly it's it's creating those little moments that people might not see right away. I mean, to the untrained eye, it's it's a lot of these little tactile and subliminal things that are happening through your 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 experience, your dining experience that we're constantly, you know, feeding mm. uh, to you. Uh, maybe the lighting, the 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 cutlery, the crockery, um, you know, the, the waiter's approach. Uh, the way that we address you by name, the little kind of, I suppose, notes that we take on your experience, so that the next time that you come, we're you know we can personalize the experience a little bit more, mm. and that's really I think how we've bred uh, this this loyal loyal customer base, and I think you know you're doing something right when you see a lot of regulars. Interesting, yeah, totally, and and it's yeah, the place is the main hasn't lost anything even through a pandemic. It's still buzzy in Dubai for the last kind of five, think, seven years. I think people have, have really um, gravitated to the brand and made it really their own. Mm. You know, and I, and I often tell people, it is your place. You know, if something doesn't go right on the one-off chance, you know, in one of your visits, something, then it's your place. Tell them, you know. How involved do you get into the food side? Do you cook? And a broader question, where, where do you think, is there a line between a world-class restaurant and a world-class chef? I think, well, like I said, I mean, I have a very 360 degree perspective on, on the restaurant business. So again, the creative side, the business side, um, I'm not a cook in the kitchen, but I do create the menus myself. I do get very involved in the menus and the presentation. Mm. Um, I know, you know, what works. I travel a lot. I get a lot of ideas. Um, I really like to have my finger on the pulse of what's happening. Um, but ultimately, it boils down to great ingredients, 
constituted in the simplest way possible mm. um, and really giving people a sense of value is really what it boils down to. Mm. Interesting. So, um, yeah, I was just trying to, you know, are you looking at the ingredients in terms of uh, scale and making profits? Or are you putting quality first as well? Or both? No, it's not only that. I mean, obviously it has to make money. But, um, for example, during the pandemic, we made the conscious decision to support local suppliers. Uh, so we, we actually transferred all of 80%, I would say, of our, our ingredients to local suppliers. People mm. don't know this, but there's 40,000 farms and fisheries in the UAE. Uh, we have a lot of things here at our disposal. So we wanted to support local. We wanted to, you know, make sure that we're supporting the little guy and feature certain things. I reduced the menu down by about 40%, focused on those on those products, introduced new products. And we also introduced a, a plant-based menu, which is an entirely basically vegan menu in all of our restaurants, because okay. I could see that there is a there is a trend towards that. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of times that I'm sitting at a dinner with, you know, five people, and at least two of them want to have now, a yeah, yeah want to have a no you know no meat no fish uh meal interesting and so so we did that and i think it's uh, people people love that we, we've done that you did that because you have the trend or because you had more time during the pandemic and the lockdown and the first two things you mentioned were sort of re reactionary in a positive way right uh was yeah, and was the vegan thing to do with the pandemic, or was it? Separate? I mean, I didn't have that much time during the, during the <laughs> pandemic. I was, we we had we launched a delivery business. You know, okay. we launched all of our tacos uh, on Deliveroo. Um, I'm in the process of finalizing a cookbook, which I started in during the pandemic. Oh, I wow. started recording a cooking show, okay. uh, you know, with with uh, with a magazine online, and it just. I, I I was I, I maybe I'm an overachiever and I just really I thought to myself let's make use of this time yeah um, and so yeah that's the reason I did it but it, it must have changed things your 2020 plans obviously took a deep detour uh, and how, is that how you reacted and are they kind of back on track now or are you kind of uh, still doing everything that you um, explored during the last few months look I mean yeah we you know nobody foresaw. Uh, COVID, uh, it definitely sent a wrench into our uh, into our 2020 plans. Um, but you have to trust the universe. And, and actually, we we were charging ahead on London on one location um, that ended up being sidelined. And and I think now uh, we're very happy where we are. Mm. Um, I think Business Bay has been a huge uh, success. Has been very well received by everyone, and I, that makes me feel really good. Um, it was difficult. I'm not going to lie, and I'm, I'm not going to pretend like I didn't curl up into a ball at certain points and think that you know life as we know it was over. But the, the truth is that it kind of also fuels your fire to come back, you know, guns blazing or you know, you know, swinging, because <laughs> you really um, it forces you to question, you know, how you were doing things before. You know, mm. um, we, we we leaned out the team a little bit. Um, uh, you know, we, we we looked at our systems a lot closer. Um, and, and really, I think when things are going well, you know, you don't question anything. But when things are not going so well, it really forces you to, to question everything. And it makes you, you know, smarter. Yeah, totally agree. It's so interesting. So when you say systems, are some of them, uh, some of them are kind of processes that you have in place. Right. Some of them might be technology partners and things like that. Some of it might just even be, Culture. you know, making sure that people are, are, you know, you're getting the most out of people. Mm. Um, that, they, you know, one person can do. 
uh, you know, the job, um, it's really boils down to kind of a sense of accountability and ownership. Yeah. And I think when you, when things are going well, you know, organizations have a tendency to become fat and sort of, you know, top heavy, for example. Mm. And, uh, and I think that situations like this forces you to look at your management structure and forces you to, to look at ways to maybe decentralize some of the management so that the accountability falls in the hands of all the employees, not just the managers. Mm. Interesting. You know, in, in that line, you know, in terms of culture, is that, does that mean there's a kind of a limit to how much you can scale uh, the concepts that you have? Uh, is, it, is there a certain size for uh, the restaurant business that you're building? I think, I think if, the, if the brand success depends entirely on you, then yeah, of course there is a scale, there is a limit, you know, there's, there's a, but I try to not make it entirely about me. I try to, I try to be kind of walk into the restaurant, try to inject some of my enthusiasm and my, mm. and my love for what I do to my people. But you have to, I think the trick is to find creative ways to keep that, you know, inspiration and, and uh, motivation alive whether you're there or not mm. that's the trick okay but so i'm just thinking of the jamie oliver example and right. I, you know that that may be and correct me if i'm wrong that was you know the jamie's italian was t- uh to try and kind of be that middle range uh offering in the market especially in london uh and then they've run into financial trouble because of how it was managed well i don't know if jamie ever went to his restaurants okay uh, <laughs> uh sorry jamie but i don't i don't <laughs> I don't know that he he spent. I think it was his brother-in-law actually that managed okay. the operation. And and I think at a certain point, you know, you do need to reinvent. You do need to stay ahead of the game. You do need to spend time in your restaurants, and mm. and, and and you do need to travel around and make sure that everything is you know. And I think honestly, overexpanding too fast also could be part of it. And and also, I don't know. I I, I can't comment on his business, but I. It's a very big difference when you're a brand and you're you're lending your name to a to a restaurant, and when you have the restaurant as the brand. If yeah. that makes any sense. But but uh, what examples? Uh, I hear, yeah, I understand. But what examples are there of uh, chains at at the level of the main that have uh, exported beyond a, a personality? In terms of, I think I mentioned this on from Dubai, uh, internationally even. Well, I mean, there's many examples in Dubai. We are the only, I believe, we're the only multi-unit licensed restaurant at the moment okay. that I can think of. Um, are people are, coming to you internationally uh, to? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And we are, we are, we're, 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 we're. That's definitely in our in our plan moving forward. There are brands, homegrown brands uh, from Dubai. I could count about two or three that are starting to look at global expansion so there are so a few has, has done a few uh, yeah i mean he's not he's not a local category. he's not a local brand but homegrown brands for example gaia oh, has yeah. a homegrown brand by chef izu and, and evgeny bulldozer group uh you've got um the london project um i think is looking from blue waters is looking to expand internationally you have your borrow uh, at on the scene yeah which has some plans to open i believe in london uh next year there are examples of homegrown brands that have gained international uh, uh, you know uh, recognition and but there's many examples of, of I suppose restaurants that are similar to the main or in the mains category that have scaled to a large degree I guess what I'm trying to get at is you know I m- remember hearing about uh, five guys and 
they uh, they didn't open their second branch until 17 years in. Yeah. And then there's the McDonald's story, and there seems to be a kind of a franchise way of expanding once you reach a certain level. And it's I easier. It's same. easier with that category with quick service casual restaurants. You know, with that QSR kind of model, um, it's easier because the design package is very um, prescribed. It's specific. Yeah. Um, their systems are quite simple in that sense. It's, you know, they're, they're detailed, but there's not. You know, it's counter service. You mm. know, uh, there's no waiter service. Um, so you're talking about a kind of a different kind of restaurant. Uh, but when you talk about a full service restaurant. Um, it definitely becomes more challenging. Uh, you, you're looking for large footprint restaurants. You're looking for large investments. Um, you know, you really only probably have one shot at, at it uh, when you go into a market. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it's all about first impression. So it's, it's, a different, it's a different model. Regarding the investments, uh, if people don't know the industry at all, how is that approached? Do, is there a sort of um, private investor equity part in, in the restaurant business or is it mostly uh, from financial institutions? And, and no, debt? no, I have partners. I mean, I have partners who, who believed in the brand and, and, and trusted uh, me to, to develop the brand. And, um, you know, it's, it's quite expensive to yeah. open a what restaurant. Sort of numbers? Both I mean, in the millions so yeah. of dollars. So it's not, you know, okay. it's quite expensive to, to open a restaurant in Dubai. You know, there's quite a big barrier to entry. Mm. So you really do have to get it right. Also, you know, uh, it's quite a, you know, you have to be quite risk, uh, you know. You, you, appetite for risk. Uh, yeah, yeah, you need to have an appetite for risk. Yeah. Um, so it's not for everyone. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but definitely a big part of what I do is, is, Getting investors, finding the right partners, uh, trying to find partners that you know are going to bring value to the project, um, and also really, there's a lot of kind of that kind of managing their expectations that also has to happen. Um, but look, but luckily, everyone you know the main has has done very well, and and we we have managed to open three of them in Dubai. Now the challenge is going to be how do we export that brand internationally? So, do you think having investors, uh, you know, do you have to sell the dream to them at the start, and how do you then? Uh, as you said, manage them in terms of uh, long term, you know, can, can it be the type of investment where they make profits and they're willing to kind of be part of the journey over decades rather than... Yeah, I mean, look, at exit? the end of the day, it's all about, it's all about transparency. Uh, that's, I think that's key. You know, um, all of my investors are happy because they're constantly reported to, they have the same information I have, mm. nothing, uh, there's nothing that, uh, that I know that they don't know. Um, and I'm always selling the dream because I'm always, you know, charting the vision forward. Mm. And, and that's really why they've invested is because they know that you're the right guy for the job. So, but I think a big part of it is really transparency. I think far too often people, um, investors feel like they're, they're in the dark. They don't know what's going on. Um, you know, when something happens like, like COVID, they need to know that you are on top of it, that you have a plan that you, so there's a lot of this kind of reporting that has to happen. Yeah. yeah. Communication. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, if I do that, if you do that as a as a as an operating partner, they're off your back because they know you've you've got a handle. Okay, yeah. very good, and they see the success. And talking about that uh, in Beirut, where you have different concepts, yeah, it's it's also not an easy market. It's, it's a very difficult market, and it's it's a market that I, I mean, I love Lebanon and I love Beirut, but you have to be quite resilient when you live in Lebanon. And I think a lot of people who do business there are survivals. Mm. You know, they have a survivalist kind of mentality. They've survived the war. They know how to pick up and start again. 
you know, it's, it's, I don't know if it was for me. I'd never really lived there. So it was a huge experiment. Yeah. Um, I don't and know. The quality of, of places to eat and dine and, and go out is so good. that So many, so coming. many places. No, there's very, I mean, we are, I think Lebanese are notorious for our sense of hospitality and our creativity. And um, it's really sad what's happening now in the market over there. I mean, I think it's going to be, it's going to be a very painful few years. Recovery, yeah, or hopefully. Um, but how do you view then the region? You know, have you looked at uh, the main in, in Riyadh or Jeddah or Saudi or how do you view Yeah, the we've been approached to, to look at that. Um, I think, you know, I'm open to it. I just think that there is a, uh, there's a component to the, ma- the main which is really driven by wet sales. Um, so bar sales. Yeah. And so you just have to be mindful of that. Mm. Um, and honestly, with the amount of stuff I have going on at the moment, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm, if that's high on the priority list. Yeah, it's the places that you've opened here still need a lot of kind of nurturing. And yes, the of course. New. And 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 we are opening in London, and that's going to be a big. You know, we're opening next year, so that's going to be a, a big, uh, a big focus. Yeah. You know. Is it is it easier? I mean, London, you can see it's an established market. It might be competitive, uh, but is it easier to? almost know what you're getting into there or yeah we did a huge uh, market study on london uh wanted to make sure that i really understood who the other players were i wanted to make sure that we were bringing something that was uniquely different i wanted to be absolutely sure of our positioning Mm. um not only our design package but our pricing and our offering um and really drilling down into what makes the main special and why it will stand out and why it will succeed in a market like london which is very competitive and um and it's it's you know you have to do your homework. Hmm. Are you going to how would you how do you tell that story of London? Can you reveal anything? Are you going to enter the market in terms of this is a new kind of indie place, or is it going to be like this is an international expansion? Um, this is the Dubai story, or there's another no, twist. No, I mean it? it's my story. I mean it's it's something that you know again is very inspired by my childhood. It's something that I, you know, there's really an ode to the summers that I spent on the East Coast. Yeah. I, I believe that the colonial New England brasserie is really a concept that's not only missing in London, but around the world. So okay. I, I, that's really my approach. Okay, cool. Uh, Where in London? Uh, <laughs> you will know soon enough. Okay, yeah, <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Um, talking about food trends and the culinary space, uh, how do you view the kind of hot topics? You mentioned kind of uh, vegan and plant-based food. Mm-hmm. What about the kind of uh, the technologies that are coming in? Um, what's your kind of top line thoughts on, uh, firstly, say uh, plant based food? I mean, listen, I, I personally uh, even challenge myself to introduce kind of a plant based diet into my own diet mm. to have kind of at least three days during the week where I try to avoid eating meat or fish. Mm. I think everyone should. Um, I think it'll create a more balanced world that we live in. Um, because we're exhausting the, the you know the world's natural resource you know we're, we're exhausting the resources of the world yeah and I think that um, there are some very interesting advancements I believe we're not quite there yet I think a lot of work has to happen mm-hmm. uh, into kind of these alternate meat um, options um, I think that I don't really see that as a trend per se you know uh, I think the trends in food are th- more thematic trends I mean you know how yeah sort of Peruvian was the big trend and then you know, now Greek is the big trend and so on. As we sort of, in Dubai especially, we tend to kind of ride these waves. Yeah, it's I don't, more taste-based rather than... Right, yeah. I don't know that I, I, I don't know that I believe or like to create these thematic experiences. I think people get bored of it. Um, I personally, my 
approach to things is to try to create more timeless experiences. Okay. Uh, things that can really stand the test of time, things that can, uh, you know, resonate with people irrespective of what they feel like eating that day. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, I think I heard from a nutritionist yesterday who also described plant-based like you did in terms of being, you don't have to be completely based everything. You can be no. plant-focused and you can yeah. have it. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I find about my vegan friends is they really want everyone to know that they're vegan. <laughs> and they really try to convert everyone to being 100% vegan. And I just think that's kind of an re- unrealistic approach. Yeah. Um, but I do believe that it is it is about balance. Okay. I like I, I really do sort of that's my mantra. That's good. It's good. Good. I think I'll adopt more of it. Uh, dark kitchens. Uh, how do you view them? Is that something that you would pivot into, or do you use them? Look, I, I, I don't necessarily um, understand it as much as I should. Mm. I haven't spent that much time on it. I know a lot of people are working on it at the moment. Um, I don't know the extent to which delivery is. You know, I, I like to see my clients. <laughs> mm. You know, I like to talk to my clients. I like to know what they think. I think uh, dark kitchens, I mean, every it's sort of the fad at the moment. Everybody wants to do a dark kitchen. Everybody wants to create three, four brands that can be serviced from these, from these you know, ghost, they call them ghost kitchens as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know that, it's not to say that I would never do it. I just, I don't know that I, my head's there right now. Mm. Is that from the schooling that you had and, I meant to ask this earlier. Do you look up to particular restaurateurs around the world or do you have role models? Yeah, of course I do. I mean, I think that there are people that have really informed um, my style and my career and, and, and people, you know, it's people that also sort of blur the lines between hotels and restaurants. Okay. I think restaurateurs build beautiful hotels. Hmm. I don't think hoteliers build beautiful restaurants. Okay. So, I'm very much inspired by this world of, of these kind of more boutique hoteliers and, and um, yeah, I think, I think that that's really the people that I look up to the most. Uh, can you name a few? Yeah, I mean, your right. usual kind of, you know, your Andre Balaz, your Ian Schragers, your, you know, the group behind uh, Soho House, Nick and, and, and others. And you, I, you had worked there actually before. Yeah, yeah, I did actually. I started, well, I was very young. I was 19 years old, 20 years old, Yeah, working at the original Soho House on Greek Street. Okay. Back in 2000. Okay. And uh, yeah, that kind of, that style is, I think has really kind of informed a lot of my, uh, my, uh, my own style. And uh, touching on that, will you, will there be a main hotel or do you, there's a couple of, um, there's a, a more of a members club opening in Dubai soon. Is yeah. that something that you, a concept that you would explore? Something like that? I don't know that I would. Um, but you think it's I think possible, people right? people love you know yes there's always people that want to feel like they're part of some sort of exclusive group uh, you know that they always can get into I tend to create more democratic spaces mm. I like to be more inclusive rather than exclusive okay. I think that's more my style I like to make everyone feel like they're part of uh, this lifestyle um, I think all these other guys like to like to curate and like to push people out and i, do, I don't okay. know that i believe that that's interesting cool well thanks a lot for joining us this morning joey My we pleasure. touched on a lot of things i was really good conversation i'm looking forward to eating in your fun places again soon thank you it's been thanks a pleasure a thank you that's it for another episode of dubai works thank you so much for listening and please leave a review on the podcast platform that you're listening too it really helps with organic searches also if you'd like to appear on dubai works or know someone who has an inspiring business story in Dubai, 
please do get in touch on any of the smashy social platforms.